much about what God expects of us too. Now, the Bible is a book of life. And so we don't see a lot of death scenes, but uh, we, we know there's a focus on life. But today we look at a story that leads me to ask a question that I think it would be good for us to consider. How would you like to face your death when it comes? What will you do with your last 24 hours? Your family and your loved ones gathered around waiting to hear your last words. But how do you squeeze 60, 70, 80 years in just a few moments? Incidentally, I, that's why I believe that we ought to uh, constantly be teaching the next generation, whether it be our children, our grandchildren, and not wait for that uh, last words moment. But because the Bible is a book of life, we don't see too many deaths, uh, deathbed scenes. I think of the New Testament, uh, the main cast of characters, the, the disciples themselves. The Bible doesn't give any idea of how any of them died. Well, it gives uh, some hints, but it doesn't talk about any of their deaths. In fact, uh, you have just a few deaths that are talked about. Jesus, of course, Stephen, Judas, and just a couple more, but for the most part, doesn't talk about that. And so it's surprising how much is written in the Old Testament about the death of Jacob. In fact, Abraham's death is described in seven verses, chapter 25 of Genesis. Isaac's is in only three verses, Genesis 35. Joseph's is found in five verses. Yet uh, Jacob's death covers about 70 verses. Tells us some things we can learn uh, from that time period of his life. In his final days, the Bible says that Jacob had faith. Look, if you would, verse number 21 of Hebrews 11. The Bible says, By faith Jacob, <coughs> when he was a dying, blessed both the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning upon the top of his staff. Now I want to look at a couple of Genesis passages too and uh, work our way through his story. But I want to preach to you today on a few mo for a few moments on the subject, What is your name? What is your name? Father, we pray as you would, uh, as we speak uh, as much as we can in accordance to your word, that you would bless. Uh, we do thank you for your word and bless the reading of it today. And Lord, I pray that you'd help me to be a help to someone here today. In Jesus' name, amen. To give you a little bit of history on Jacob, <coughs> we've already talked about him a little bit last week, uh, talking about Isaac and, and uh, Esau and Jacob. But Jacob didn't have a good start in life. Uh, he was named uh, heel holder is what his name literally means, or deceiver or supplanter. <coughs> and so his name from birth defined who he was. He was a deceiver. Uh, his twin brother Esau <coughs> was a twin in the fact that he was born at the same on the same day, was not a twin in any other way. They were nothing like one another. Esau was an outdoorsman, a, a hunter. A, he was a, a man's man. Jacob was a, a more of a mama's boy, hung around in the tent and was a help to her. We spoke last week about the unpleasant scene in the giving of the blessing when, when he tried to trick uh, his father for the blessing. Everyone in this family had their own agenda. They were all working towards uh, what they wanted and none of it agreed with one another. Now after Jacob tricks his dad, he runs away from home because Esau has promised that he's going to kill him. 
And so the Bible never records that this mama's boy, after he runs away from home at this time, ever sees his mother again. Then Jacob settles in Haran. Uh, Uncle Laban gives him a job as a shepherd looking after his flocks. Uh, Jacob agrees to work for Laban because he's fallen in love with one of Laban's daughters, the younger daughter, Rachel. And he agrees to work for Laban for seven years to win Rachel's hand. And so he does. He works seven years. Uh, God blesses him there. But the problem that Jacob did not understand, Jacob the deceiver has met Laban the deceiver, and Laban's about to trick him. And so Jacob, <coughs> the day comes <coughs> after the seven years were fulfilled, and Jacob says, it's time, I put the time in now, give me your daughter to marry. And so they have the wedding, and because of the times and the, the uh, customs, she would have been heavily veiled, and uh, probably uh, Jacob would have had uh, uh, somewhat uh, uh, vast amounts of alcohol and, and wine and such. And so uh, anyway, they went into the uh, chamber that night, he wakes up the next morning, he looks over to his new bride, and he He's shocked to find that it is not his bride, it is her ugly sister. And I'm not just trying to be mean, that's what the Bible says. Uh, this was her ugly sister he woke, woke up to. And now Laban has tricked him. Now he finds he has to live another seven years and work another seven years for the one that he really wants. Once again, we see favoritism in the Bible. We saw favoritism uh, with uh, for, for Jacob from his mother, favoritism from Isaac to uh, Esau. We saw favoritism uh, when Jacob has Joseph. We, ha we see favoritism all throughout this family. Now he loves Rachel more than Leah. Rachel is barren, but while she's barren and can't have children, the one he really loves, Leah gives birth to Jacob's firstborn son, Reuben. Then follows 11 more sons through Rachel, Leah, and two handmaidens. These sons would be the 12 uh, forerunners, make up the 12 tribes of Israel. Eventually, Jacob receives God's command to go back to the land of his fathers. So he leaves Haran and takes with him his wives, his children, his flocks. And uh, now we're going to go to Genesis chapter 32, where we see the next scene in his life. He's now heading back, and uh, he's about to have a reunion with his brother Esau. Twenty years have passed since they've last seen each other. The memory of Esau's threat to kill Jacob is still very alive in his mind. That's the last thing Esau had said, I'm going to kill Jacob if I ever see him again. How will Jacob face Esau after having cheated him for the inheritance and then the blessing? Remember, he not only cheated Esau when he went into his father and got the blessing, but he also cheated him out of his birthright for a bowl of soup, a lentil soup uh, uh, years before that. For 20 years, he's lived with this memory. For 20 years, he's wondered if Esau still plans to kill him. For 20 years, he's dreamed about going home, but each time he remembers he can't go home because Esau will kill him if he does. The Bible records for us that these two men uh, prepared for their meeting uh, like warriors to enter battle. Jacob, in this passage here, he sends gifts ahead for Esau, and uh, then he also sent spies along with those gifts to check out the situation. And they came back and they said, Yes, your brother's coming. And he has with him 400 men. The Bible says that Jacob is greatly afraid and distressed. Would Esau forgive him or would Esau fight him? It's a tragic thing when sin catches up to the sinner. 
And it always does. Sin will always catch up with you. It's the law of the harvest. The Bible promises it. Be not deceived. Our God is not mocked. For whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. Time and distance did not erase Jacob's past. However, before Jacob met Esau, uh, he has two other meetings that I want to talk about that made a, all the difference in Jacob's life. First of all, Jacob met the Lord. Now, he heard that after getting the message here that Esau had 400 men with him. When you, cut, when you travel with 400 men, that's not a welcome party. That's a war party. And so he knew that he could be in some serious trouble. To avoid everyone getting killed, Jacob splits up his, uh, divides his household anyway, into two camps. And that night, understandably, Jacob probably suffers some insomnia. He's to meet Esau the next day, and he wants to spend the night alone because he very well may die in the morning. He's a nervous wreck. I can imagine that the stress of this situation is weighing on his soul. For 20 years, he's known this moment has to come. All of a sudden, the Bible tells us about uh, this story here in verse number 24. If you'll look there, Genesis 32, verse number 24. All of a sudden, someone comes up from behind him and tackles him to the ground. He begins to wrestle, who he does not know at first, I believe. Maybe Esau had sent an assassin. But look what the Bible says, verse 24, When Jacob was left alone, there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. When he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh, and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. The wrestling was in private. When a person, uh, what a person is when a person is alone tells us much about his character. You can be a hypocrite in public. You cannot be a hypocrite in, pi in private. That's what, where your real self comes out. As with Jacob, some of the greatest battles that we, uh, that take place in our lives take place when we're alone. And so here's Jacob. He thinks he's fighting an enemy does not realize at first that he's fighting the Lord. Now, we better watch out when conflict comes. Sometimes we think that we're fighting the enemy when we're actually fighting the Lord. The Lord allows things to come into our life. But at any rate, he wrestled all night. At some point during this weird wrestling match, unusual wrestling match, Jacob realizes that he's wrestling the Lord. Now, I'm going to call this person the angel uh, we can call him the Lord. Hosea tells us it was the Lord. And Jacob here late uh, in a few verses recognized he saw God face to face. So we're going to uh, interchangeably here. But as he was fighting this angel, something happened during the night. And it happened in his heart. Uh, you see, all of his life, Jacob's own ability had characterized what he did uh, at birth. He came out of the womb grasping the heel of his brother. They, remember, they were fighting in, in the womb. They were having a, a sibling rivalry in the womb. Can you imagine that pre-birth sibling rivalry? And so then moving the stone to water Rachel's sheep, then working for Laban for, for 20 years in, in real difficult conditions. Uh, here, uh, something's taking cha a change is taking place, though. Here he clings to this mystery man who then injures Jacob in a moment. The irony is here that Jacob's physical weakness 
is a part of a transformation to his spiritual strength. I want to say that again. Jacob's physical weakness is a part of his transformation to spiritual strength. You see, before that night, Jacob was in excellent physical condition. After that, ever after that, he walked with a limp. Hey, friend, listen, you don't know, but that the trouble in your life is placed there. Maybe it's sickness, maybe it's difficulty. That may hurt you physically, but it brings you spiritual growth. The question is, are we like Paul, willing to accept our infirmities so that God may be glorified through our weakness? That's a spiritually mature place to be in our life. The angel wrestled with Jacob all night. This shows us that no matter how much strength Jacob had, he was no match for God. At some point, the Bible says that he touched the hollow of Jacob's thigh. Why did he touch the hollow of Jacob's thigh? Well, it's the biggest and the strongest muscle in the human body. And I think by touching his thigh, crippling Jacob at his greatest strength, whatever you think you are, you are no match for God. That's what that says. Doesn't matter how strong you think you are. It was a lesson that Jacob could not miss. When you wrestle with God, you always lose. Now, I don't think that initially Jacob realized who he was uh, wrestling. I don't think he was wrestling at a blessing from God at first. He was defending himself. He was refusing to yield. In fact, this wrestling match really represents Jacob's life all night long. He refused to surrender in defending himself. Then God weakened Jacob, and now he could only cling. Now, don't miss the change here. Now, instead of scheming and conniving for a blessing, he asked God for it. He just asked. Oh, listen, friend, if we could learn from Jacob, none of us deserve God's mercy and God's grace in our life. None of us deserve it. And yet we scheme and we connive and we try to earn it. We think that we can have uh, gain merit with God. Can I tell you today, just humble yourself and ask. Just ask. Listen, we can't save ourselves. We can't earn our way to heaven. You know how we get to heaven? We ask. We ask. We receive God's gift of salvation. We can't have spiritual victory in our life, really, in our own power. Uh, so what do we do? We ask. We ask the Lord. Learn that. He met, he met God. Perhaps more importantly, he met himself. Look at verse 27. Genesis chapter 32, verse 27. And he said unto, oh, I'm in the wrong verse here, or wrong chapter. Genesis, uh, I've lost my place. I'll just read what I said here. Genesis, he said unto him, what is thy name? And he said, Jacob. Can I tell you today that we don't truly see ourselves until we first see the Lord? What is thy name? He said. This is the critical moment. This is the breaking point in Jacob's life. Why did the angel ask him his name? Did he not know who he was? Of course he knew who Jacob was. The question is, though, Jacob, do you know who you really are? What is your name? Jacob, conniver, cheater, deceiver, supplanter. He was a man who had earned his own name. He was Jacob from the top of his head to the bottom of his toes. That's who he was. It defined him. So when the angel asked, what is thy name? He's really asking, are you ready to admit what you really are? This was the question that forced Jacob to see himself and answer, Jacob. 
schemer, conniver, heel holder. Once he faced himself, once he saw who he was and confessed his sin, only then Jacob could be changed. Can I tell you today, this is probably almost the hardest thing that we'll ever do in our life. Most of us struggle mightily to avoid it, and that is to see the hard truth about ourselves. Now think about that. We can think anyway, we see the truth in other people, but it's really difficult for us to see the truth about ourselves. You've heard the truth will set you free. Well, in this situation, the truth will set you free, but it'll hurt you first. It's hard to see the truth about ourselves. Galatians 6, 3, For if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. And yet so many people do exactly that, deceiving themselves. When you face that truth of who you really are, only then can God help you. Jacob got a good look at God, but he also got a, uh, he met himself as well. God then gave Jacob a new name. The rest of that verse, and he said, Thy name shall no more be called Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince thou hast power with God and with man, and hast prevailed. Listen, when the sun goes down the night before, his name is Jacob, deceiver, supplanter. When the sun rises the next morning, his name is Israel, prince of God. Man, amazing things happen when we meet God. Amazing things happen when we uh, realize the truth about ourselves. Friend, if you had to find a name today that described your character, what would that name be? Think about it. Your spiritual health, where you are right now in your life, if you had to find a name that described you, your, your walk with God, what would it be? Angry? Depression, defeat, discouragement. What would your name be? If we had to stitch that name right across your shirt, what would we write there? What is your name? That's a good thing for us to recognize that once in a while. What is your name? I have wonderful news today. Like God did for Jacob, God can change that in your life today. You don't have to stay the way that you are. We do that all the time. Oh, I know I have a temper, but that's just the way I am. We're not called to be the way we am. We're called to be the way he is. Amen? I was an English teacher before I did this. The way to have power with God is to be broken by God. Jacob now had a walk. He limped. God also gave him a new spiritual walk. He walked. He was walking in the spirit from here on out not in the flesh. He had been broken by God. Uh, he limped now, but his limp was a mark of power, not of weakness. Imagine today if you, uh, you, you were at sitting at home, you're really hungry, and <clears throat> so you call the local pizza joint and you order a pizza. A few minutes later, uh, somebody comes and you hear a knock on the door. You know it's the delivery guy. And so you go to the door and there he stands. He's got your, your pizza and it's just kind of draped over his hand and it's dripping toppings all over the ground and, and down on his shoes. And it's just a steaming round of hot mess. Now your first question that would come to your mind is, where's the box? You don't just come holding a hot pizza and falling apart. Where's the box? Now, here's the thing about the box, and I brought one with me today. Casey's, amen? Amen. Uh, the, the thing about a box 
is that there's no value in the box. In fact, uh, a while back, I talked to a manager at Pizza Hut and asked, what do you pay for just the boxes? And she, oh, between three and four cents a piece. There's no value in the box. None at all. Yet, when a when you hear a, a door, if you've ordered a pizza and you hear a, door, a car door shut and you look out the window and you see somebody walking up your uh, walkway with this box in hand, what do you start doing? You immediately start salivating and your stomach starts growling. Why? Because it's such a beautiful box? No, because of what's in the box. What's in the box is not given value by the box. The box is given value by what's in the box. Now, the, the box means nothing, right? You get it, you eat it what out of, uh, what's, you eat what's in the box and then you throw it away afterwards because the box is nothing. It's just an annoyance. But can I tell you today that the box does not give value to the product. The product gives value to the box. When you order a pizza, you don't even think about the box, but you surely expect it to come in one. When's the last time you ordered a pizza and said, man, I hope it, I hope it comes in a red box? We don't care about the box. But we certainly expect it to come in one, don't we? Listen, it is, not, it is not who we are that gives us value. It is who is within us that gives us value. It's who resides in us. This is just the box. And, and Jacob had to come to the point in his life where he recognized it's not about what I can do for me anymore. It's not about my conniving and my scheming. It was God in him, not him. Daybreak came. And the wrestle match continues. And he says, let me go. By now, Jacob knows who he's wrestling with. And then uh, the, the angel says, let me go to Jacob. Jacob answers, I will not go except, th- I will not let thee go except thou bless me. <laughs> this is new. Until now, Jacob used his strength, his ability, his schemes uh, to get what he wanted to achieve his own ends. But for the first time in his life, he is at the end of his own resources. And so he tells God himself, listen, I'm not manipulating anymore. I'm not trying to maintain control anymore. I realize without you, I am nothing. So I will not let you go until you bless me. Before this, he used his wits to deceive Esau. And trick Isaac. Now he's learning the lesson of Zechariah 4, 6. Not by might, not by power, uh, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. The morning, he does get his blessing. His name is changed. The morning rose, uh, the sun rose, and and uh, verse 31. Uh, I, I'm in Exodus. I finally figured out what my problem was here. Uh, it's a really tough thing when you look down and you're not seeing the verse that you think you're seeing. Uh, verse 31 uh, of uh, Genesis. As the sun rose, uh, Jacob limped out of the woods. His nose is bloody. His hair is wild. His eyes are black. He's all beat up. You know how after you've been in a long wrestling match, clothing's torn, all muddy. And I imagine the first person that saw him, what in the wide world happened to you? Big smile, I've been blessed. It looks more like a beating than a blessing, amen? Sometimes that's how it works in our life. I've been blessed. You know what the difference is? Is not the conflict, but the attitude in the conflict. And he had the right attitude. It is a, the ultimate measure of a man is not where he stands in moments of comfort and convenience, but where he stands at times of challenge and controversy. 
And so he was blessed of the Lord, and the Lord changed his name. Well, the Jacob's relief, the reunion to Esau, was a good one. It was a restoration, not a, a war. So that was good, and, and we're not going <coughs> to spend much time on that. We'll continue to move on because uh, we come now to the uh, story that's talked about in Hebrews 11, which is found in Genesis chapter 48, and this is at the end of his life. He's dying. Now, I understand that in Hebrews chapter 11 is not referring to the story we've just talked about where God changed his name. But can I tell you that the verse in Hebrews 11 would have never happened without Genesis 32. All right, we have to have our name changed by God. We have to meet with God before we can be any value to him. So God had to change his name. Uh, the story that's referred in our text is found in Genesis 48. Uh, Hebrews 11:21 says, By faith... Jacob when he was a dying. You see the power of faith. By the way, I'm glad that faith uh, is not dependent on our health or on our physical body. Here Jacob is old. He's ab about to pass away. And, the, and we find that faith can be powerful even when the body is weak. And we see that in Jacob. Now, <clears throat> just very quickly, uh, he talks about blessing his sons or J Joseph's sons, his grandsons. Uh, the birthright of Jacob contained two parts. We talked about the birthright a, bit, a little bit last week, so I won't uh, belabor that. But uh, one part was the double portion part. That's what the firstborn got uh, in every family at that time. He would get a double portion of the inheritance. The other part was uh, specifically Jacob's birthright, and that was the divine prince part. That was the part that would put you in the line of uh, being uh, the and a, and a ancestor of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> the one receiving the birthright inheritance was almost always the firstborn son. In Jacob's family, that would be Reuben. Uh, although Reuben, though, the Bible says in 1 Chronicles 5.1, talks about how he forfeited his birthright uh, by committing incest. And so since Reuben, uh, Leah's firstborn, forfeited the birthright, then Joseph Rachel's firstborn, uh, Leah was uh, Reuben's mom, but uh, Rachel's firstborn, Joseph, would be the one who get that double portion part. And the Judah and divine prince part uh, would go to, uh, the divine prince part would go to Judah. And so those are the two different parts here that Jacob is passing on. Now look at the, in uh, chapter 48 of Genesis, and we're going to look at verse number 5. Genesis 48 and verse number 5. The Bible says, And now thy two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, which were born unto thee in the land of Egypt before I came, unto thee, unto Egypt, are mine, as Reuben and Simeon, they shall be mine. So this is the official adopting of jo Joseph's two sons by Jacob for the blessing. Jacob had his favorite son, Joseph, for 17 years until Joseph was sold into slavery, and then Jacob thought he was dead. And then for the last 17 years of Jacob's life, he had Joseph again. The two boys were probably in their early 20s. Jacob claimed them as his own. Uh, we see in uh, chapter 49, verses 5 through 7, won't go there, that Simeon and Levi uh, disappear as separate tribes. Ephraim and Manasseh replace them. The Bible talks much about Ephraim and, and Manasseh uh, being treated equally to Jacob's sons as far as their tribes go. Look at... Uh, the pleasure of faith as well. In verse 10 of chapter 48. Uh, now the eyes of Israel were dim for age, so that he could not see, and he brought them near unto him, and he kissed them, and he embraced them. 
And Israel said to Joseph, I had not thought to see thy face, and lo, God has showed me also thy seed. You can't read that without thinking about the tremendous emotional moment that is. He, he's basically saying there, Joseph, I thought I'd never see you again. Now, not only have I seen you again, I see your sons. What a blessing that was. And so he's rejoicing with that. J Jacob did not die a sour old man complaining about his discomfort. He rejoices in his blessings, being reunited with his grandsons. You can imagine uh, how he felt at this moment. The faith, faith brings joy to the believing heart. Amen? Love that testimony, even to Brother Wes earlier uh, before the offering. Uh, there's an excellent example of that. Having faith in God in the, greatest in the greatest tragedy can bring out of it blessing. Isn't that, a, isn't that amazing? That's what faith does. It brings joy to the believing heart. Jacob was in his last days here in the clutches of the misery uh, or what people claim sometimes can be the misery of old age. We're familiar with that. Old age, everything hurts, and what doesn't hurt doesn't work, right? We understand that. You sit in a rocking chair and you can't get it going. Your knees buckle, but your belt won't. Dialing long distance wears you out. That little gray-haired lady that you help across the street, she's your wife now, and so it's your job to do that. You sink your teeth into a stake and they stay there. You know all the answers, but no one asks you any questions. Jacob's rejoicing, not complaining. Hey, praise the Lord for that. We need to be joyful people no matter what stage of life we're in. Where is joy found? Joy is not found in unbelief. <coughs> Voltaire was one of the most renowned infidels that in our history. He wrote, I wish I had never been born. Lord Byron lived a life of pleasure if anybody did. We know that joy is not found in pleasure. He said, the warm, the canker, the grief are mine alone. Uh, it is not found in money. We, we can go through a long list of, of people who have been very wealthy. Uh, Jay Gould was an American millionaire when there were very few of them. And when he was dying, he said, I suppose I'm the most miserable man on all the earth. It's not found in position or fame. Lord Beaconsfield enjoyed both of those uh, to a great extent. And he said this, youth is a mistake, manhood a struggle, old age a regret. Hey, can I tell you today, friend, that joy is, is a flag that is flown uh, from the castle of your heart when the king is in residence there. Joy is found in Jesus Christ. It's not found in things. We need to determine to have joy in our heart like Jacob did. Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, the Bible tells us rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Those words were written by a hand that was chained in prison. And yet he said rejoice always. Proverbs chapter 17, verse 22, a merry heart doeth good like a medicine, but a broken spirit drieth the bones. And yet how many Christians walk around like they've been sucking pickle juice through a PVC pipe, sour, like the mother-in-law's moved in, like uh, you know, all kinds of bad things happen to us, and, and we got to be, of course things happen to us that are unfortunate. Do we have to be sour? No, let's have joy. Jacob had problems, Paul had problems, they determined they're going to have joy, and so we need to make that uh, decision in our life. Put a smile on your face. If you're saved today, you've got eternity to look forward to. Isn't that a blessing? doesn't matter what comes our way here if we've got heaven to look forward to forever. 
I want to look at verse 12, chapter 48. And Joseph brought them out from between his knees, and he bowed himself with his face to the earth. Remember, Joseph is the second most powerful man in the land. Though a man of high position, he shows respect that ought to be given to faith. Men recognized in our world today are seldom men of faith. Usually they are men of unbelief. Who wins the Nobel Prizes of our day? Often it's politicians so crooked, you got to screw them in the ground to bury them, you know. It's not God-loving people. It's often unbelievers. Faith is generally despised in our society, but faith is rewarded where it counts. And we see that uh, in this story here. Uh, then look at the the uh, piety of faith here. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 21, back to our text, he says he worshiped leaning on the top of his staff. Uh, he worshiped, the Bible says, there's no such thing as a faith that does not worship. Uh, that is just part of having faith. Yes, you can go to church and not have faith, but I don't believe you'll ever have faith and not go to church. Be faithful to the house of God. Faith inspires worship of God. Faith goes to church. Lack of faith uh, promotes a lack of attendance at church. But where faith is strong, I believe attendance will be strong. I think the, uh, the victorious Christian life and being faithful to the local church go right hand in hand. Three to thrive. I think it's a, a necessary thing. How and how often you worship says a lot about your faith. It is no coincidence that the first churches that stopped having church on Sunday evenings and on Wednesday evenings were modernistic churches. Faith does not close the doors of a church. It opens them. Amen? And so let's have faith. Let's be faithful. We see the fact of his worship, the, the fervency for his worship, leaning upon the top of his staff. Verse 21, Hebrews 11. Uh, worshiping and leaning on top of his staff. Uh, today it's uh, I guess you could say it's like going to church with a cane or with a walker or with some kind of uh, instrument like that. Not letting any type of inability get in the way of worship. Praise God for that. Thank God for those that make their way to our church on Sunday morning even amidst pain, even amidst difficulty. But that's what faith does. It gets there. It doesn't let inability get in the way of worship. Sometimes going to church itself takes a commitment because Satan's going to make sure he puts all kinds of things in our way uh, to be faithful. But faith continues on and it finds a way. Some people make weak excuses. I read the story of a Fella Bobby arrived at the football game after it had already started. His friend said, why are you so late? He said, I couldn't decide between going to church and going to a football game. And so I tossed a coin. His friend said, that shouldn't have taken that long. He says, well, I had to toss it 35 times. And uh, we find that he has made his choice. How many times do we look for an excuse not to go to the house of God? How many times do we look for an excuse not to be faithful? to the Lord. Jacob started out a schemer, a manipulator, a cheater all his life. He worked the angles to get what he wanted. He, he, uh, he arranged things. He manipulated things. He deceived his father. He cheated his brother. With a checkered past, how could he be joyful at the end of his life? Can I answer that question for you? Because God changed his name. God changed his name. No longer Jacob, so you're going to be called Israel. 
The answer goes right to the heart of the gospel. When God saves us, he justifies us. He gives us a new name as well. He changes our purpose. God takes our wicked past, places it on his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and then God works through our sinful choices to accomplish his divine plan. And he does that by transforming us into the image of his son. Hey, it's a blessing, isn't it? Let me ask you today, has God changed your name? What is your name? If, you're, if you had to pick a name that described your character right now, what would it be? Hey, if it's not pleasing to God, he can change it. What does it take you to stop? Uh, what does it take to stop you from doing what God wants? Do you have faith to do uh, what, what, well, to, to the faith as we define it? Belief-inspired obedience. Do you have the faith to just believe God and then obey what he says? Has he changed your name today? What is your name? Listen, if you're here today and you're thinking, you know what, if I had to choose my name, this is what it would be, but I'm not happy with that. I'd like to move beyond that. Can I tell you, God will change your name. First, you have to meet with him, and then you've got to be honest with yourself, and he'll make an impact in your life. Let's have every head bowed, every eye closed.